Welcome to the Spectrum Lounge podcast, where we discuss creatives of color changing the game in TV, film, and pop culture. I am your host, Rebecca Theodore Vachon, and on this episode, I am joined by Jerry L. Barrow, head of content for Hip Hop DX, as we review Marvel Studios' Wakanda Forever, directed by Ryan Coogler. Hey, Jerry. Hey, Rebecca. It's been a long <laughs> time. Oh, Listen. my goodness. I, I don't even realized. remember what was the last thing we we talked about, but Ooh, it's been a lit. It's been a minute. Yeah, I've actually took a very extended hiatus from <laughs> podcasting. So was it I what think, if? Maybe it was what if. I think what if. Maybe what if. Yeah, I think mm. so. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, of course, uh, Wakanda Forever is out in theaters right now. Opened last Friday. Um, it is currently the number one movie. Um, I think opening weekend, it grossed uh, $330 million. Mm. And I think it was one, $180 of it was, um, uh, $180 million of it was domestic. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. They're, they're already projecting that um, the, it's probably going to make another $72 million this weekend. So it'll probably be the number one movie again. Um you know, a lot of box office pundits are wondering if it's actually going to make the billion dollar mark because Black Panther, of course, made $1.3 So the question is, will mm. the sequel be able to replicate the box office success of the original one? So I don't know. I have my own theories. We'll see what happens. That's, that's a tough uh, ask. That's a tough yeah. ask. I'll, I'll, I'll honestly say they shouldn't be expected to. And I don't mm -hmm. think it will. There's just mm -hmm. so many factors at play, which is, and the biggest one obviously is, you know, Chadwick not being with us. Yeah. I, yeah. I, Black Panther, you know, the first time something comes out, there's mm -hmm. all this extra energy behind it and anticipation and because it's new, hadn't been done right. before. Right. So I don't know if it's realistic to expect. I mean, I'll be pleasantly surprised if it does, but. I don't think it's it's reasonable to expect that it's going to match domestic the box office of the first one. People right. are going back to see that two, three, and four times. Yeah. You know? Well, there's you definitely don't... the the re the rewatch or the rewatch value mm -hmm. of Wakanda Forever. Um, I mean, I'm one of the people I paid to see. Like, I went to see Black Panther. I saw it in a screener. At, uh, I saw a media screening. Saw that for free, and then I went back at least four more times, like paid oh, out of yeah. my pocket to mm -hmm. see that with Wakanda Forever. I mean, like number one, um, when the movie came out, I mean, you and I both agree that we wanted to kind of sit on it because I, um, you had screened it from last month because you got to interview Ryan Coogler, and I, I definitely Correct. want to talk to you a little bit about that. And then I saw it, you know, last Saturday opening weekend, and when we kind of compared notes, um. The next morning, Sunday morning, I think we both came to the conclusion. I was like, I don't, I don't know that I can just jump on the mic and do a review of Wakanda Forever. Like usually with other movies or TV shows, I can, you know, do a podcast review like the same day or the next day. Mm -hmm. but Wakanda Forever, I was like, oh no, I, I think we both <laughs> agree. I was like, I, there's a lot. It was, it's it was a lot. lot. And I mean, I'll, I'll be the first to admit that. Um, when I saw it, um, 
I, you know, like I, I, I was emotional. I cried a couple of times during the movie because I kind of braced myself and people, you know, there was like little spoilers coming through. So I kind of prepared myself for certain plot points. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, honestly, it really didn't hit me until the next night. So I saw it Saturday night mm-hmm. and then Sunday night. I specifically remember brushing my teeth. I had just showered, you know, done my, you know, night nighttime regimen for my skin and mm-hmm. I was brushing my teeth and then all of a sudden I just broke down and just started crying mm. and I was just like I don't even I was like where like where is this coming from um and it was just like and it was just like it was the like I think it was a delayed reaction like it was fine mm. like the movie was really hitting me like that like the 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 finality of Chadwick being gone you know mm. like we, he passed away in August, 2020. Um, he had been, um, he had been diagnosed with, with colon cancer, I think as early as like 2016, 2017. So, I mean, this was like a five to six year battle for him. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, so we were already dealing with that grief and then to go back to the movie. And of course they wrote in, um, you know, his death, they, they also, uh, had T'Challa die off screen and it was just like i mean we'll talk about this 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 movie there was a lot there was there was so much grief in this movie and i think it's different i mean yes there was grief in black panther clearly um you know with with nojubu's death it was still under the specter of t'chaka's death from civil war but this just hit different wakanda Mm -hmm. forever just hit me different in a way that i just wasn't prepared for. And I was just like, um, I was having a conversation with someone because we were already seeing like the hot takes and the reviews and, you know, of Mm -hmm. Wakanda forever. And, you know, I was talking to a friend of mine, Shannon Miller, and I told her, I was like, this movie requires a different type of toolbox. I think like as, as film critics, like I just felt like whatever tools I had been using before in critiquing movies, I just feel what Wakanda forever, you need a whole set of tools. You need a whole different toolbox because the context of how this movie came to be and the narrative changes all stem from a very real death Absolutely. of Chadwick Boseman. So I was just like, I just, it's not to say, I'm not saying that the movie can't be critiqued. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm mm-hmm. saying is that I think there's there has to be a lens of empathy. There mm-hmm. needs to be some context with mm-hmm. that. And you know, just real quick before you you give your thoughts on it. The other thing that I was thinking too is that the audience, we as the audience going to see Wakanda forever, we are not the same people that saw Black Panther in 2018 mm. because we've because we've experienced grief as much. It was it was sort of a, a sort of a collision, right? Because there's all this grief from Wakanda forever, and we as the audience, as the movie members, we're walking in. We're still living under the specter of a pandemic. And I'm not even going to say post-pandemic. We lost a right. million people. Right. You know, we we were we were sheltered in place. We lost jobs. We lost family. We lost, you know, people who who did have COVID and now they're we're finding out the the the, the effects of long COVID. We're not even right. we're like I don't even think the healthcare industry is even ready for like the after effects of what this of what this virus has done. Um, and so like, we're walking in with our collective grief as well. So I was just like, wow, 
<laughs> I was like, I'm definitely not the same person that sat down. And I mean, yes, of course we change, but like there's, I'll just say this quickly is that, that with Wakanda forever, one of the things that I saw, and we'll talk about this is there was definitely a loss of innocence. Mm. Um, that's what I was feeling. And I, and I think that that was definitely coming from Ryan. Um, mm. But I'll, I'll start with you first because I wanted to get your initial thoughts on what you thought of Wakanda forever and oh, what you man. liked. And, yeah. It was so, it was a challenge for everything you just said, because we're coming out, you know, the, you're right. We're not post pandemic. We're still in it. I still have a mask in every pocket of my Tokyo jacket. <laughs> when I go mm -hmm. out. And I'm struck by, we'll get into this in different ways, but I was struck by the open, I was, my first question going in was how are they going to deal with T'Challa's death? Not right. Chadwick's, but T'Challa's. Mm -hmm. And it opens and it's Shuri frantically trying to find a cure for her brother's mystery illness. And I'm like, oh my God, if nothing could be more timely mm. in this day and age. For a variety of reasons, not just because right. of things the actress said off, you know, offline or off right. screen, but mm -hmm. what we were dealing with, all of us was trying to figure out how to cure our sick loved ones. How many of us lost siblings and parents over the last just couple of years to this disease? And mm -hmm. I felt that it was palpable to me, like the desperation in her. Obviously, I knew that she wasn't going to find a cure because we all knew that Chadwick was gone. So I was just really um, taken, I want to say taken aback, like, because I wasn't offended by it. I was just like, oh, we're starting like this. Like, we're not even getting a chance to catch our breath. They are, they're, they're, you know, it's not subtle. It's boom. He's dying. Mm -hmm. They're trying to find a cure. And here's Shuri. And then she fails, and we, we and we watched Black Panther die on mm. screen already. So it's like right. we're gonna now we have to deal with it for real. Mm -hmm. And knowing that the actor is is no longer with us, it's like I can't imagine going into Superman two knowing that Christopher Reeve died, and that we're not going to see him in this movie. Or going in to see Matrix Two and knowing that need that 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 Keanu Reeves died, and mm -hmm. that whatever we're about to watch doesn't have him in it. That's right. what we were up against. People don't understand how I mean, maybe they do, but how big it was, or how difficult it was for all of us to go into this film to want to hope and push for them, but knowing it wasn't going to be the same. So I wasn't looking for it to be the same. That said, I think Ryan and the team did an amazing job with what they had. Like under the circumstances, being able to come up with a story that still did honor to Chadwick, did honor to T'Challa, and still grappled with all the complexities of being the Black Panther without him, I think they did an admirable job. I think where they where they really put their foot in it was um the backstory for Namor. They gave us such a thorough and lush um origin story for him. I don't think we need a Namor movie. Pe the first thing people were saying is, are we gonna get a Namor movie? And I know a lot of that was driven by lust for <laughs> the actor that plays Namor. <laughs> they want a whole movie of him. What do they just... call him um, on Twitter? They're calling him Aquapapi. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. 
Well, you know, for me, he's always going to be Mr. Nimbus because of Rick and Morty, right? You know, he's oh, always yeah, yeah. Be... <gasps> Oh, that's a great analogy. That's a great comparison. He really is. He he's really definitely is. Mr. Nimbus because he's, and it was so funny, not to, not to, not to deviate too much, is he's a super sexual being, which is what everybody is doing to Namor, to Namor, right? Mm-hmm. They're turning mm-hmm. him into this object of sex and wanting to and, and fantasizing about all the things they want to do to him, but that's Mr. Nimbus. He's the motherfucker <laughs> that um yeah so um well let's let's start with so let's talk about because I, I definitely um watching the movie I I mean just the fact that um going back to 2020 the original script that Ryan Coogler and co and co screenwriter Joe Robert Cole they had written a they had written a script for Black Panther too, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and for anybody listening, I highly recommend there is the official Wakanda Forever podcast that is hosted by Tanahisi Coates. Um, the mm. first episode, if you have uh, whatever wherever whatever platform you listen to your podcast, Spotify, Apple, I think it's also on YouTube. Um, the very first episode of the Wakanda Forever podcast, the guest is Ryan Coogler. Um, and it's, it's about 30, it's about 40 to 45 minutes and everything. And so they really talk about, um, you know, Ryan mentions the fact that, and I mean, he he had said this a couple of years ago that they had a script for Black Panther 2. They had a script for Black Mm -hmm. Panther 2. And if I remember correctly, in the recent interviews, I think Coogler said that it was going to deal with. T'Challa dealing, you know, life post blip after Endgame, you know, and Mm -hmm, and what mm -hmm. would Wakanda would look like after that. So there was a script for Black Panther 2. He and Joe Robert Cole um, wrote it. It, I think they they finished it about a couple of weeks before Chadwick passed away. Of course, at the time, as we're all finding out, a lot of people did not know that Chadwick you know, was battling colon cancer. He pretty much kept it a secret from his coworkers, uh, you know, directors, everything. Um, and yeah. so ch- on the on the podcast, Chadwick talks about the fact that when he finished the script, because, you know, Ryan and Chadwick were more than just like director and actor, like they were friends and they were brothers. They were very collaborative. Oh um, so on the podcast, Coogler says that he calls Chadwick called him on FaceTime and, you know, to tell him that he had finished the script. And Coogler was like, <laughs> Chadwick actually asked his, you know, his wife to leave the room because they were like anything that's Marvel related or, you know, Black Panther related, you know, you had the NDA, even his, he couldn't even tell his wife or his fiance at the time. <laughs> right, right, so right. he, you know, he told her to get out of the room and, you know, Coogler said that the thing that impressed him or that he noticed about Chadwick, uh, because they were talking on FaceTime, is that Chadwick looked really tired. Like mm. when he was talking to him, he was still in bed, you right. know, because he was he was kind of lying down and kind of held the phone to his face. And then, you know, Ryan was like, hey, the script is finished. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I want to I want to send it to you so you can so you can read it. And Chadwick was like, you know, I'm just not I'm, I'm just really tired. I'm just not feeling that well. I'm, let's hold off on that. Mm. And Ryan was just like that kind of, you know, threw him for a loop. Like, what? Like, we were so excited, you know, Black Panther 2. 
And but then seeing how, you know, Chadwick just didn't like kind of looked under the weather. He was like, all right. You know, he was a little perplexed because, you know, you know how it is. You're a screenwriter. You write something. You want people to read it to get the feedback. Of course. But you know how tired he had to have been to turn down reading the Black Panther 2 script. Yeah. And and you and I talked about that because when I listened to that podcast, um, I was on my way back from New York, back back home to Atlanta, and I was crying um, Mm. because when I think about that, like I replayed what that must have been like for Chadwick, you know, I mean, of course, Ryan didn't know what was really going on Mm -hmm. and it broke my heart for Chadwick to know that he wasn't going to be here for Mm. Black Panther 2 because he died two weeks later. Mm. You know, and and the thing and another great thing that I loved about the podcast is how and this is just to to give people context of of what's going on when we talk about Wakanda forever. Um, You know, Chadwick had been cast as T'Challa Black Panther back in 2014. This was Mm. the year before just when they decided, you know, when they were doing Civil War. Uh, they were about to go shoot Civil War, and Nate Moore, who is one of the Black producers over at Marvel Studios, had been really advocating for years for mm-hmm. you know T'Challa to enter the MCU. And then he finally saw his opening. He was you know one of the producers for Civil War, and he was like, "This is it. This is the project. This is mm-hmm. when we're gonna bring T'Challa and Wakanda into the MCU." Um, so, if I remember correctly, I think Kevin Feige had seen Chadwick's work on. Um, 42, the Jackie Robinson biopic that he did. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was like, you know, because they were on the hunt. They were doing an extensive search for who they wanted to play Black Panther. And mm-hmm. Feige was like, yeah, this is our guy. You know, mm-hmm. Nate Morin had really advocated for him. So um, our first introduction to T'Challa Black Panther with Chadwick in the role was in Civil War. And Ryan... I love that he said this. He was like, I he was like, I don't think people will understand how many battles Chadwick behind the scenes, how many mm-hmm. battles that he that he fought. Like he was literally like an ambassador of Wakanda and yep. the Black Panther yep. character. And he was like, you know, uh Chadwick had to sit in rooms having really uncomfortable conversations with a lot of these executives because one of the decisions one of the debates was what accent was T'Challa Black Panther supposed to have they wanted to get some British accent or something yes they said that and it is Chadwick that advocated he was like absolutely not he was like if this is a fictionalized uh, African nation that has never been colonized, that has never been touched by imperialism. It makes absolutely no sense for him or any of the Wakandans to have a British accent. They should right. have African accents or mm-hmm. Wakandan accents. We'll say that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I think like, let's think about this. This was before he became T'Challa Black Panther. This is an actor, you know, he had been working in the business a long time, but he had maybe like a couple of movies under his belt. You know, and I, I mean, and Ryan said this, he was like, he didn't have the power of a Robert Downey Jr. He didn't have the power of a Chris Evans. He didn't have the power of a Chris Pratt who could walk into a room and be like, oh, this is what I want for my character. You yeah. know what I mean? Like this yeah. is, they're like, you're a newbie. But, mm-hmm. you know, and, and remember, he didn't have Ryan at the time. So right. he was fighting. So Ryan was like, he was fighting these fights before I even got there, mm-hmm. you know? And so once he, and then once Ryan came on board, so 
from what I understand, um, Ryan was brought on to when they finally decided to do the Black Panther movie. They saw the reaction to T'Challa, Black Panther and Civil War. And they were like, yeah, we got a green light, a Black Panther movie immediately. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, that brought on the hunt for a director. We know that uh, Ava DuVernay had taken a meeting with them, but mm-hmm. they're um their visions just didn't mesh. And mm. then um, I think that was when Creed 2 came out. Mm. And then everybody had been talking about that. And then that's how Ryan got the job. I think, you know, he came in with his presentation. They were like, yeah, okay, this is this is good. And uh, Ryan and Chadwick met and they just got along amazingly, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So this is all to say that, like for Chadwick, the, like I understand the the recast T'Challa campaign, I understand the motivation for it, but I also understand that for so many people, Chadwick Boseman is Black Panther. They're they're enmeshed, mm-hmm. and there's a reason for that. It was more than oh, I just took the role. It was like no, he was like he was an advocate. He was a fierce advocate for. He was very protective of this character and the depiction of black people in this movie, um, you know, and because of the relationship that Ryan had with them, I mean, it was something that they created together. Um, yes. So we feel that like in Wakanda forever, there's just this sense of loss. Yep. Like there's there, the like the center has been lost. And so it's just like, it's almost like this vacuum where you're just circling around like this hole of nothingness, you know what I mean? And Ryan is just trying to, now that Chadwick had died, he had to create a whole new script. Yep. I can't even imagine that's what that's crazy. Like, like yeah. you lost. Yeah. And it's not like you lost, and this is not to diminish anyone's death. You didn't mm-hmm. lose a character who was like third or fourth down on the call sheet. This wasn't like the Matrix trying to replace the Oracle, right? Right. This was you were replacing your this is your lead. Mm-hmm. This was your lead character, an actor who was now gone that you now yeah. had to move on without. Mm-hmm. I can't think of another franchise or a film or any project with the exception of maybe, um, was it Spartacus? Mm-hmm. That yes, had, Andy to, Whitfield. had yep. to pivot after Woo! the loss of their star in mm-hmm. this way. But even with Spartacus, they had more time. And it wasn't yeah. all the context and everything wasn't attached to that one character the way it was with Black Panther. He took, and it's an impossible situation as it was, I couldn't think of anyone better suited to take on this particular challenge than Ryan Coogler. And I think yeah. he did, <laughs> for the most part, he did his, the best he could with what he had. Um, yeah. He got obviously stellar performance out of Angela Bassett. Um, you know, I love me some Nakia and Okoye. <laughs> I think Letitia was good. Was she great? Mm-hmm. No, but I think even Letitia will tell you she was just good. Um, mm-hmm. I think she did what she had to do to, to um, you know, honor Chadwick and not fumble. But, right. and I, I don't know if we want to go that far yet, but I don't, I don't I'm not convinced she wants to keep doing this. Um, okay, so I, let's, I think, let's- yeah, I, I definitely want to put a pin in that because I want to talk yeah. about the ending and yeah. what the future of the Black Panther, at least by the ending. So just letting people know that mm. this is going to be a very spoilery, heavy review. So if you've not seen Wakanda forever, please shut this off. <laughs> Turn this off and come back. But mm-hmm. again, 
spoiler alerts, we're going to be talking a lot about some of the themes. And because when I thought about it, it was like, you know, I, I, I don't want to just do like a regular review of like, oh, I like mm-hmm. it. And because I think this this movie is unique and it's exactly for what you said in the fact that this is a franchise that literally lost its lead actor just one movie in. I think there was a motivation for Ryan um, because he loved Chadwick so much. He knew that he could be the only one and rightfully so. He was like, I have to be able to send him off, both mm-hmm. Chadwick and both the character of T'Challa. Um, and I can't even imagine, like, how do you sit there? You're like, oh gosh, I got to think of a whole new story. My lead actor is gone. And it's like you said, um, what Ryan did was that he had wisely invested in the women of Wakanda from Black mm-hmm. Panther 1. So therefore, mm-hmm. going into Wakanda forever, it didn't feel like, oh, wait a minute, these women weren't even in, that important in the first movie. Exactly. Like, why? You know what I mean? Like, he had already positioned them, not knowing what was going to happen, but this is mm-hmm. why. You always bet on black women, okay? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you yep. always, you will always find your returns in that. And because mm-hmm. he had set up such dynamic black women characters in the first one, you know they had to, you know, now they had to kind of step in and fill the void um, mm-hmm. that had been left by Chadwick. And I think for the most part, um, I, I think it did a serviceable job. Like Angela Bassett. Come on now. Amazing. (laughs) Amazing. Amazing. Like this, her, they're already talking Oscar uh, run for her, like, you know, for Best Supporting Actress. I absolutely co-sign that. And I actually hope she wins. I want you to talk about something. Okay. The subtle thing that Ryan did with Queen Ramonda. We saw her hair. Yeah. She took her crown off and under her crown was Mm -hmm. this gray white mane. Yes. Talk to me. Talk to me about how <laughs> you reacted as a black woman seeing um, that. Well, I think I think even from the first movie of Black Panther, there was a radical to me. It was a it was a radical imagery in a mm. blockbuster mainstream movie that mm. all the black women in this movie all had natural hair. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And continuing to Wakanda forever. There was not, and I'm not degrading women who wear weaves or straighten their hair. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm just saying is that that is radical in itself. Like yeah. even the, and even the men, even the way that Michael B. Jordan wore his hair, the way Killmonger's hair was, mm-hmm. um, even, um, you know, T'Challa's hair, it was like in these little twists and Killmonger had, um, you know, the the short locks. Like these were, mm-hmm. it was just, I forget who the hairdresser, the hair designer and uh, Black Panther Wakanda forever, but the work on the hair was just gorgeous. It was just mm-hmm. like, and it just made me so happy. Like you have bald black women, women with locks, women with braids, women, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, the, the love interest of T'Challa and Black Panther was a dark skinned black woman who had a mm. short fro. Especially interesting to me was um, from the first movie, uh, Ramonda had locks, silver gray locks, much like the comic book. Mm-hmm. Um, in the second, in Wakanda Forever, in the beginning, we see her with the locks. When they do the time jump one year later, the hair is in this very soft fro. Mm-hmm. And I actually loved that look on her because it gave her a certain vulnerability. Mm-hmm. It, it made her, it not that she looked hard with the locks, but the mm-hmm. because even the texture of the hair, it was just because as you get older, your hair kind of gets that 
softness oh, yeah. or the looseness of the Definitely. girl. And yep. so it gave her a certain, it gave Angela's face a, a certain vulnerability mm-hmm. that I that I love. So you would see the scenes where she would have the crown on her head and then you see the next scene where it's off and you're seeing this curly hair, mm-hmm. you know, this, this, this frizzy hair. And it was just, it made her look vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Um, and, mm-hmm. and, and I think the scenes That's that you see word. her hair like that are when she is most vulnerable, like mm-hmm. when she first is confronted by Namor. There's a, like an intentionality of like when we see Ramonda's hair versus when mm-hmm. we see her with the crown. I yes. think there's it's very subtle, but it's very thing. So one of the things that I wanted to talk about, because I, I feel like I want to talk about some of the themes, because let me just say this off the bat. Um, I always feel that um, I'm very against burden of representation. I'm very much about Black artists creating art however they want, and that their art cannot possibly carry the expectation of every Black person in the world. Right. White creatives don't have that burden, so I certainly don't want that burden for Black creators. You should be able to color outside the lines and do whatever the heck you want. Not to say you can't have critique, but I feel like Black as as Black artists, we have to give them that freedom. Um, so that being said, when I look at Wakanda Forever, I think you can absolutely enjoy it on the level of it being a comic book movie, much like you can list, you can enjoy Infinity War or Ant-Man and the Wasp or whatever. You should absolutely be able to do that and nobody should be able to shame you for that. Mm. Okay. So on that level, sure. Lots of adventure, lots of, you know, especially with the the introduction of Namor and the Talokan. It works, right? Like that's that's you're, you're gonna get your Marvel movie. That being said, <laughs> what I the more that I've been thinking about Wakanda Forever, I really feel like yes. Besides the theme of loss and mourning, I feel like Ryan was really like we need to have some conversations. We need to have mm. some very uncomfortable conversations, Black people. Because <laughs> mm. the more I would think about a movie and then I would just be like, uh-huh. oh, oh, <laughs> you know, and it was just like, like, like what? Like, where do you think he was going? Okay, so so let me, so let's, let's talk about this one. So I'll, uh, let, let's tackle this one first. Mm. Going back to like the way we said that uh, Ryan Coogler, you know, now shifted or pivoted towards the women, the black women of Wakanda and wisely so. So when we saw the first trailer, right? That was the one that had that beautiful mashup of no woman, no cry. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what we got, right? And of course, once we see a lot of these scenes in the trailer, now when we saw the movie, they were totally out of context, which I loved. Um, right. Like when Ramonda gives that, that, that speech, you know, haven't I given everything? Right. It's not what we thought it was. You know, I right. thought she was talking right. to these, you know, People at the UN, right? Yeah, it's something up, but we'll get to that scene. Mm -hmm. But anyway, what happened was like when we saw it, it was this beautiful, like black women were just so hype. It was this Mm -hmm. gorgeous vision of like a black matriarchy. We have Mm -hmm. not ever, or like a black woman monarchy, right? We we see we see images of uh, Vermonda sitting on the sitting on the throne. We're seeing the Dora Milaje. We're seeing. Okoye kick ass. We're seeing, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. We're seeing all of that. And I was just hyped up. Like my estrogen levels were like, Whoop! you know, and I was just <laughs> like, yes, this is, this, this is it. Black girl magic, black girl magic, black girl magic. You and know, they Ryan, were all on the same cycle on that set. They uh, all must have been. 
<laughs> you know? And then, um, and then what Ryan does, and I'm really sitting with this now, and I had to sit with this, is that he was like, black girl magic, but wait. <laughs> because let's talk about what black women in power could really look like. Mm. Right? So you have this, you have this country that's never been colonized. The, the the black women of Wakanda don't have little girl, black girls growing up in Wakanda don't have the experiences of black little girls growing up in America or other parts of Africa or South America or Europe. You know what I'm saying? So you're 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 growing up where you in a world where you see yourself reflected every day. You're seeing women in positions of power. You're, you're and from what I'm understanding, Wakanda is egalitarian it seems like there's really no sexism there, right? Mm. So the the double monsters that black women have, the, the double-headed dragon that women black women have to slay as far as sexism and racism doesn't exist in Wakanda, mm. right? Right. Now that being said, <laughs> now these women have room to play. They have power, mm -hmm. right? But what does that look like? Earlier today, I was watching this podcast and um, it was a conversation. It's, it's a podcast called We Are Man Enough. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of the guests, I forget what his name is, is Charity Charity Groff. He's brilliant. They, they call him like Instagram's public intellectual or whatever. And anyway, mm -hmm. he was talking about um, a book that he had read called The Pedagogy of Oppression, right? And it was written by Paolo Freire. And mm -hmm. so during the discussion, during this podcast, they were talking about like, how do we dismantle sexism and racism and all these, you know, like all these power dynamics. And Charity was talking about a friend of his. He was like, you know, I was talking to a friend of mine. He was like, it was funny you asked me this because I was talking to a friend of mine named Benjamin. And, you know, we were talking about like all these world problems. Like, how do like, how do you dismantle racism? How do you, how do you dismantle white supremacy? How do you dismantle misogyny? And his friend was like, well, here's the thing. He was like, as long, like the world will always remain in a dystopic state as long as power is the currency. He was saying like, <laughs> when his friend told him that, he was like, my feelings were hurt. And, <laughs> but, it's, but it's true, right? Because it's like, because when we look at history, um, the oppressors, you have the oppressors, the oppressed, rebel. They kick the oppressors out of power. Then they mm -hmm. take the seat of power. And then the cycle starts all over again. So I told, remember how I used to yeah. say revolution is just a circle? Because it's just Why do you call, one, Think about <laughs> Matrix Revolutions. What do you think Matrix 3 was really about? Yeah, it was exactly the, that. Replacing one power structure with another power structure. That's really all it comes down to. Yeah, and a that, lot of power, at least in American politics, is everyone just wanting their turn to oppress other people. It's right. not about justice. It's always our turn to be assholes. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. So let me be clear. Like, I'm not saying that Ramonda was trying to oppress people because the position that the position of Wakanda and Talakan, Wakanda mm -hmm. was more like, we need to we need to preserve our resources, the resources being vibranium. Right. Mm -hmm. So they're like they're more in a defensive. They're not all offensive. They're not trying to take over the world like mm -hmm. Killmonger, they're more like, we're trying to protect, you mm -hmm. know, because they started out as a very isolationist, you know, monarchy or whatever. And then, you know, 
as we saw in Black Panther, Nakia and, and T'Challa comes to find out, like, we can't just stay in the shadows anymore. We have to go out there and we have to help our people and just trying to cre create this connection in the African diaspora, right? Work. That being said, I do think that Ryan was making some points in yeah. how white supremacy with resources, let's say, so the resource here being vibranium, will make mm. us turn on each other, yes. right? Um, instead of us actually allying together and like bringing down the true evil. And I'm also going to say this. I don't care what anybody says. No more was not the villain of this movie. While he did mm. something questionable, uh, not questionable, something that I, I did not like, mm -hmm. was he the true villain of the movie? No. And I think no. that's what Ryan, that, and I think that's what Ryan was trying to say is the fact that the real villain of this movie were the white people. <laughs> it was <Yeah>. Val. <laughs> it was and that, all and, the, and yeah, I but, have a feeling that that was the part that was amplified in the second script. Because mm. they said, all right, we've got to fill this space. Let's mm -hmm. now use this as a launching pad for the rest, the next phase of the MCU. Let's tie in. Because I, I I can't say this for certain, but mm -hmm. I'm wondering if Riri Williams was supposed to be in the first script. Or if, I feel or like, if she I feel, was. I feel, like, I feel like Ryan Coogler, she was cast in like late 2020. Like, it, it makes yeah. sense in the whole technological landscape. Like, she's mm -hmm. a genius. It makes yeah. sense for her to, to have met Shuri, but mm -hmm. I don't know if they were supposed, they meant to make her as focal as they ended up making her to the, to the, to the script because right. um, that felt like, okay, now we're trying to set up Armor Wars, and then mm -hmm. now we're trying to set up all the other shows. And that's one of the big distinctions between this one and the first film, that this felt much more like a Marvel movie to me. And right. that it, all the other Marvel players, let's go ahead. I'm going to say it. There were a lot more white people in this one. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like we had they were. They Claw were. and Everett Ross and that was it. It was like two white people in the whole last one. And now it just felt like there was a way more presence. And I think that's, that's the one thing we lost. And then I think it mm -hmm. gave them an opening to fill it with more Marvel. Right. And taking it out of Wakanda. And to your earlier point about, um, I feel like we didn't get it. We still don't know who the people of Wakanda are. We mm. set up Wakanda as this, like you said, this this this, this utopia, but mm. we still don't get to see how they live. Like, nope. and and more importantly, what do they think of their leadership? Because remember, we've been we've got we've had a very narrow view of Wakanda because we've only seen it from the top down. We've only right. seen in the it movies, from the leaders. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, in the movies. I mean, mm -hmm. in, the, in mm -hmm. the movies, we've only seen the leadership it's more like the crown you know it's more right. like so imagine if this is game of thrones we only ever saw the the warring families we never saw the citizens to okay so going back to ramonda mm -hmm. one of the things that again spoiler alert if you have not watched the movie please pause this and come back mm -hmm. um halfway through the movie uh because of some betrayals and misunderstandings. Mm -hmm. uh, Namor and the Talakan attack Wakanda. Mm -hmm. And in the, in the course of that, uh, Queen Ramonda is killed. Uh, basically, he throws like these water bombs, like he basically yeah. floods the throne room. 
And mm -hmm. then uh, Riri, who was with her, who was with Ramanda, Ramanda and Riri fall into this water and she saves Riri from drowning, the chance of drowning herself. Mm -hmm. That was a lot. And I, I, I don't agree with their decision to kill her. I, I agree with that too. So I know mm -hmm. that there was an article that they interviewed uh, Angela Bassett because I thought... Well, maybe Angela Bassett wanted to opt out of the franchise. Maybe she didn't want to be there anymore since Chadwick wasn't there. But it like seems like a cotton mouth situation. Yeah, but it but it did seem that um, based on the article, she was just as shocked when she read the mm -hmm. when she got the script, and yeah. she, uh, you know, basically called Ryan and was like, "What are you doing?" She was like, "You can't <laughs> kill me, and Ramonda. Like you won't right, ruin the right. day." And Ryan right. was like. You know, Ryan was calm. He was like, listen, I got this. Like, trust me on this one. So mm -hmm. there's two ways that I'm going to look at this. And then you tell me what you think. Now, okay. for me, I still agree with you. I don't feel that because, of course, people are going to be like, it was basically a mirroring the way T'Challa lost his father in Civil War. That's what mm -hmm. kind of, you know, uh, made him step really step into the role of Black Panther. And so okay. they were kind of mirroring that with Shuri using the death of Ramonda to kind mm -hmm. of, because at this point, Shuri didn't want to take on the mantle of Black Panther. She was just like, right. I don't really. And also remember from the first Black Panther, the purple, what was it? The the herb? The heart-shaped um, herb. The heart-shaped herb had been destroyed by Killmonger. Yeah. And so mm -hmm. there was no, there was none left. And so Shuri had been trying to replicate it, but it wasn't working. And she was like, I just, you know, and it went with T'Challa dying. She was like, there's no more Black Panther. We don't, we don't need that. And stuff, but now with her mother dying, um, she was motivated, and I want to talk about this after after we talk about Ramonda. She was now motivated mostly for vengeance to avenge her mother, uh, and so now she decides to take on the mantle of Black Panther after Ramonda dies. Now, but then, like I said, you're sitting in your thoughts. I'm processing. I'm processing. Mm -hmm. I'm processing. Mm -hmm. Right, and right. then I came across a tweet i'm gonna read the tweet to you mm -hmm. and then what it did is it kind of helped me reframe what con uh ramanda's death not saying i still agree with it but it helped me to see it from a different perspective so mm -hmm. this was a tweet from um phantom of the dystopia at this little stand girl t-h-i-s-l-i-l-s-t-a-n-g-i-r-l so mm -hmm. in the tweet, she has a picture of Shuri and Namor. Mm -hmm. This is what she wrote. A god mm -hmm. kidnapped a princess, gave mm -hmm. her a dress, his mm -hmm. mother's bracelet, showed her his underwater kingdom. He proposed mm -hmm. they burn down a world that has wronged their kingdoms. Mm -hmm. She refuses, bests him in battle, and he immortalizes the fight in art. Remember the... the, the um, the mural, the mural that he did at the end. Um, mm -hmm. He immortalizes this fight in an art. In, in art, this mm -hmm. is a fairy tale. Right, I saw that, I saw and that. I was like, "Hold up!" <laughs> so, then, so then, I, so then I, I read that tweet, and then I replayed <laughs> the actions of, and it's exactly that. Um, so there were definitely beats in that storyline of a fairy tale. Much because if we're, if we're going by the tenet of of mythology and by the tenets of fairy tales. Mm -hmm. Shuri had offered herself. She was not kidnapped. Let people kept saying that she was not kidnapped. She offered herself, mm -hmm. so she went willingly, right? Mm -hmm. And Namor was very much like, "All right, welcome to my home." 
I think Shuri was probably the first non um, Talakan person to ever even see the city of Talakan. I'm pretty sure of that. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? So he was letting her in. He was working on a he was working on a tenant of trust. Now, while she didn't agree with him, right? Because he was like, mm -hmm. I overheard you talking to your mother and you said how you felt you wanted to burn the world. Well, let's do it together. You know what I mean? And she was like, I don't think so. I don't, you know, whatever. <laughs> there was clearly some diplomatic negotiation starting to happen. Are you, are you yeah. catching what I'm throwing? There was sure. there was somewhere I felt like if there was if that if that wasn't interrupted by Ramonda's plan, and I'll get to that in a minute, I right. really feel that Shuri and um, Shuri and Namor would have come to an understanding. Hmm. I think there would have been some sort of diplomatic negotiation that would have freed Riri because I think once, I think once Namor trusted Shuri, Shuri would be like, if I trust, if you trust me, then you need to trust the fact that she is not a threat to you. Right. Because mm. even Namor said that, even when she was like, listen, Riri's not the problem here. And then Namor was like, you're right. This is a much bigger problem. Right. So even right. he got it that this, you know, brilliant black girl was, wasn't the problem. It was Valentina and all of these countries that were trying to steal the vibranium. So I feel mm. like if they had spent more time together and it didn't even need to be in a romantic way. I know a lot of people are sh were shipping Namor and Shuri, which is fine. I, whatever you want to ship. I just feel like if they had spent more time together and they talked, and more importantly, if Namor had spent time with Riri, I think he mm. would have seen that she was not a threat and would have actually been an asset and an ally to him. So I feel like there would have been some sort of allyship that would have happened with the Talakan and the Wakandans. So now let's get to Ramonda. Remember what I said about violating hospitality and da da da? So Ramonda, which I think justifiably, justifiably as a mother who's already lost a husband and a son, she's working from trauma response. She was like, mm. I need my daughter. I don't know what's wrong with my daughter. Mm. So remember, Namor had given her that horn. He was like, when you're ready to talk from their first meeting, blow the shell, because you know, she goes to Mexico or whatever. What mm. he didn't know is that she had gone to Af she had gone to Haiti to find Nakia. Right, because you know right. Nakia is a war dog; she can find anybody. Mm -hmm. She was like, mm -hmm. "What? This is what I'm going to do." So the plan was, Ramonda was like, "I'm going to distract Namor by meeting with him and pretending that we're going to come to a truce. You go find Talakan and bring my daughter back." One of the things that Ryan was trying to say in this movie is that we don't listen to each other. We are because of us being, and I'm speaking specifically to marginalized communities of color. We're all working with our respective traumas from mm -hmm. white supremacy that we don't see each other and we don't hear mm -hmm. each other. Do mm -hmm. you understand what I'm saying? And so right. she sends Nakia to go to Talakan. Okay, fine. You know, looking like a superhero that she is, she finds Talakan, <laughs> right? Because <laughs> they they trace uh they trace Shuri by her Komodo beads, and so she yeah. finds the cave where. Um, where uh, Riri and, and Shuri are. And then she comes in with this blaster. She was like, let's go. And then one of the women that was taking care of them, I guess she was a guard, you know, grabs uh, grabs uh, Riri and puts a, I think she put a knife to her throat or something. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then Nakia shoots her with the gun. Mm -hmm. All right. This is what I'm going to say. And I stand by this. Mm -hmm. That, those Five to ten seconds is what determined what happened and why Talakan fucked 
Wakanda up. And I'm going to tell you why. So, okay, you've saved Riri and Shuri. And if you look at Riri Shuri's reaction, she didn't want to be saved. She wasn't ready to go. Mm-hmm. Did you catch that? Right, right. She was kind of like, what are you doing? What, what are you doing? Like, right. Yeah, and then, <laughs> and then she shot the woman. And even then, Shuri was trying to calm the situation down, right? The woman grabs Riri. Um, Nakia's got the gun. And then she shot the woman. Okay. Now the woman is on the ground bleeding. Shuri runs to the girl and she was like, give me one of your kimono beads. So she says this to Nakia. She was like, I need one of your kimono beads to stop the bleeding. We saw this before in Black Panther when Everett mm-hmm. Ross was shot in the back. They used right. one of the kimono beads to stop the bleeding until they could get him and then Shuri could stabilize him. Right, right. <sighs> Nakia, Nakia. Nakia and I Riri forget, what was her re- What was her reasoning for not giving her the kimono beads? She said they don't have time. We gotta go. Which really doesn't jive with her character at all. We talked about this a little bit. Totally agree. Because first, let's talk about the irony that she's interrupting somebody else's mission. (laughs) Right? (laughs) T'Challa interrupted her mission at the beginning of the first one. Now she's interrupting Shuri's mission. Mm -hmm. And the whole idea that she would leave somebody to die, like she she when on her own mission, that little boy that was um part of the abductees. Yeah. She was like, he was just a boy, you know, bring him back to his people. She was just way more compassionate, way Mm -hmm. more empathetic. And especially considering what we find out about Nakia later at the end of the movie, it absolutely makes even less sense that she would leave somebody to die. And that part, and I feel like they just needed something narratively to to, to justify what comes next. Absolutely. For those characters, it didn't make sense. Absolutely. For that character, my, it didn't make sense. Yeah, this is my theory. Would name would Namor have been upset if Shuri was uh, was Gone? rescued? Yeah, sure. Yeah, but the fact that you let that woman die on the floor, like that kimono mm-hmm. beads, because remember the Talakan have vibranium. I'm pretty right. sure they could have healed her. Oh, they just needed enough time to mm-hmm. patch up the hole to stop the bleeding. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure mm-hmm. by the time Namor and them found it, would he have been upset? Yeah, he would have been pissed. Mm-hmm. But this woman died in his hand, and we don't know what the relationship between Namor mm-hmm. and that girl was. He called her my child. That could have been his daughter, his niece, mm-hmm. his cousin, his sister. Well, he was we a god, know. so all of them were his kids. But you know, yeah, he's five hundred years old. She mattered. Her right. life mattered. Is all I'm saying. Exactly. What it did is, besides what I'm saying about the code of of hospitality and the code of negotiation, of political negotiation. What it did is this show that Ramonda's leadership, her strategic skills in that specific, it wasn't good. Mm-hmm. What Ramonda did, right, mm-hmm. is not that much different, or at least the the, the reaction um, as, as a leader re- leading, being led by your feelings instead of strategy. Mm-hmm. That's Rob Stark. From Game of Thrones. Wow. Let's think about this. He was supposed to marry one of um, Frey's daughters, mm. right? He ended up falling in love. The thing was like, they're they're in the middle of the war. Catelyn, his mother was like, listen, mm-hmm. you gotta marry this girl, okay? Cause mm-hmm. we need all the, like, we need the political alliances that we need. And a marriage between that, mm-hmm. you know, that will definitely help turn the tide of the war. Rob, right. who was like, but I love her and I want mm. her. And mind you, the girl wasn't even royal. And I, I mean, you know, I'm just saying, like, if we're, if we're working by their tenets, 
Yeah. He disgraced daughter and was like, I'm not marrying her and married a, a woman who was not of royal blood. Mm. And then had the audacity to go up mm. in this man's house to then ask for help. Mm. We're talking mm. about the Red Wedding episode. Yeah. Now, yeah. when I revisit Game of Thrones season three, like when Red Wedding first happened, like I was just traumatized and I was like, of oh my course. God, how the fuck did this happen? But mm. then a couple of years later, when I revisited season three, Rob Stark made a series of spectacularly stupid mistakes, okay? <laughs> one marrying that girl. Who was the other mm. one when they, he chopped the head off of that dude? And they told him not to do that. Remember that? Mm. The guy he beheaded? And, and that was kind of sort of like a callback because the first episode of Game of Thrones, when we see Ned, what's he doing? Cutting off somebody's head and told, mm -hmm. you know, his sons told Rob and John, like, this is what you need to do when you're the king, blah, blah, blah whatever. Mm. And so Rob was, while he was a good person, and I think mm. he was a good king in some ways, he just wasn't very bright in his decisions. You know what I mean? Like, I was like, all right, so you want to marry this girl? I was like, at least wait until the war is over and then marry her. Right? Mm. Like you just, and it was like, it was like how he walked up in this man's house. Like his mm. wife was pregnant. Yeah. So not only did you diss my daughter, you're coming, bring your bread. And so, I mean, when you think of Red Wedding, where did they where did they stab her? Right in the goddamn stomach. Yeah. They're like, yeah, they're like, we're killing the we're killing the bloodline right here and there. Mm -hmm. yep. You know what I'm saying? And so it was like, while I felt for Rob and I loved Rob, mm -hmm. but he was flawed. He was led by emotion. And the thing is, when you're a king, sometimes, or when you're on that throne, you have to make a set of difficult decisions, right? Mm -hmm. I'm certainly not saying that Ramonda should have let Shuri die. Of course, that's her daughter. Of course, right. I understand that. But again, she wasn't harmed. Mm -hmm. Namor told Namor told her, to, sorry, Namor told her that. He was like, she's good. Okay, so let's talk. I feel that if she had not activated that covert mission by Nakia, I think things would have played out differently. Right, but they wouldn't have had the conflict to move the story forward. Right, at least not this right. version. They exactly. could have definitely had room for different conflicts. You know, they could yes. have come together and gone after the the white people yeah. that were trying right. to steal the vibranium, which is what we were all hoping they would do. But exactly, that exactly. didn't happen. Right, yeah. she was just a bundle of trauma, a yes. bundle, and and you do not make good decisions when no. you're working from that. She was just she was just like a walking exposed nerve. So then yeah. when she snapped on Okoye, when Okoye had to come back and report that Shuri mm -hmm. had been taken and mm -hmm. had disappeared with the Talakan, and then she went off on Okoye, was she telling lies? No. No. That's what was <laughs> she, so poignant about that scene for me. It was like, oh, you forgot. Like yeah. that was ill the way, you know, what we, we saw who the door followed when Kilmar took over. And mm -hmm. said, sent Ramonda scurrying into the mountains to ask the Jabari for help. Yeah. So, of course, she didn't forget that. You know, Namor, of course, if we talk about him, too, he was definitely working out of a sense of trauma, right? When we get his backstory, um, mm -hmm. we understand, you know, that his, his, his tribe, his mother came from a tribe that had been colonized by the Spanish, and then mm -hmm. they basically drank the vibranium. That's why they're right. blue. <laughs> right. So the, their their shaman or their priest basically made this thing, and they were like, "If you want to protect your baby, you need to drink mm. this." And the, 
they woke up, their skin was blue, but then they couldn't couldn't breathe. They air. couldn't breathe. And they had to go into the ocean. There's so much again, fairy tale, mm-hmm. mythology, Ryan. I see it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so now they're just like, okay, we're gonna this land is literally poison to us, right? So now they mm-hmm. leave, and then when he comes back after you know, uh, Namor must have been like 12 or 13, and they're coming across, you know, the Spanish that are just burning villages or whatever, and then they just killed them. And then that's how we find out how he got to be named Namor, which I think is fucking brilliant. That was a wonderful um, twist to, re- beautiful to twist. Re- reconfigure his name. Like yeah, that. so it was the Spanish priest who said that Namor, it's, it's the boy without love, not mm-hmm. more, and mm-hmm. stuff. And I was like, I see you, Ryan. <laughs> like the way that he just, and I love how Ryan, like he just, like, I remember when they, you know, the rumors of Namor were coming out, like the casting, people were casting Ryan Reynolds and, you know, all these whitey white dudes. But I was Ryan like, Reynolds. none of y'all. He's yeah, Ryan Reynolds. Not Ryan Reynolds. He's I mean, Ryan Gosling. Oh. Sorry, Ryan Gosling. Oh, that's even yeah. worse. Yeah. And I was just like, after watching Wakanda Forever and watching um, Puerta's performance, I was like, none of these white boys. He dusted all of them. They're really quick, I, I, I want to go into. Letitia Wright as Shuri and just the through line of her storyline. So so she creates this synthetic purple-shaped herb, uh, this heart-shaped herb in the lab. A vaccine? Let me stop. (laughs) I'm done with you. I'm going to fight you. And the key is- You made a vaccine. Let's just say that, all right? Okay, yeah, so Nakia, <laughs> you know, Nakia grinds the, the heart-shaped herb and mm-hmm. they're in the lab and then Shuri lies on, you know, this table and then mm-hmm. Nakia's like, well, wait, we have to bury you, right? Because we've seen that, like when you do the the, the mm-hmm. ancestral walk, you right. you, you drink the, the heart-shaped herb, they cover you with dirt or in the case, you know, when he was with the Jabari with, with snow and then that's mm-hmm. how you're able to do that. Shuri says, no. I don't need that. She was like, just, she puts the kimono beads on her heart. She was like, just check my heart rate, my heart rate. So she drinks mm-hmm. the the now synthetic heart-shaped mm-hmm. herb. Valvoline. Goes, yeah, <laughs> goes, <laughs> goes into the, what we, now she's doing her, her ancestral walk. We find her in the throne room. She's dressed all in white. The throne mm-hmm. room is like water and fire. Right. Much like the imagery we saw of Killmonger when he, burnt right the heart shape or remember when he burnt it yes. we saw the same thing yeah so then we see the so then she's expecting she was like okay i'm gonna see my mom i need you know some counsel from my mom so then she sees mm-hmm. the throne she's from behind the throne she sees someone all in white she walks around and who is it it's freaking killmonger Hi, my yep. queen <laughs> and so there's a couple of things and then i'll i'll, I'll hear your thoughts on it my first okay. two impressions when i thought about that scene when i revisited that scene number one Shuri was not in the ancestral plane mm. because we saw the ancestral plane reflected outside. Yeah. Much like when Killmonger took his, right? And he was yeah. buried and then he found himself back in the apartment, his right. apartment and, and thing. And his father mm. was basically like, and again, you saw like the purple and the trees and stuff outside the window. And so mm. basically Najobu was telling Killmonger like, we're not, we're separated from that. We are, we're, mm. we're not there. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? So that's what occurred to me is like, oh, sure, he's not on the ancestral. Like, she's not where T'Challa was. Right. You know what I mean? So much the same way that Killmonger 
was create in a, a it was a prison in his mind, right? The 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 space or the place of his trauma, finding his dead father, he had never escaped that. And that scene was so powerful to me because the scene starts with the little killmonger. It's not him mm. as an adult. It's he's talking to his father. He's a child, the same child right. that we saw on the playground. So he yeah. never left that. That's the thing with trauma, especially when you experience a childhood trauma or even a like it's like you're 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 caught at the scene of the crime in a way, mm -hmm. like you're trapped. And so now for Shuri, she's in the throne room where her mother died. Yeah. The place of her trauma. But her mother isn't there. You know? And also, I'm also going to say that I think the other reason why it didn't work is because Shuri up until that point is someone who's very much of science. She doesn't really mm -hmm. believe in bass. She doesn't really, she was like, I'm about my science and my technology, okay? Yeah. And so when Nakia told her, you should probably bury yourself. And she said, no, that mm. is a key component of the ceremony. Yes. Right. And I'll let you take it because you were telling me about that. So my, my takeaway from that is I was surprised, but not because mm -hmm. Shuri's a scientist. And mm -hmm. one thing you know as a scientist is you don't skip steps. Mm. <laughs> when you have a formula, when you are in a lab and you're trying mm. to replicate something, you don't skip steps. Yeah. So you had just because you had the other vibranium and you had all in the and the computer told you everything was right, you know that for this to be done correctly, you need to bury yourself. And this is the thing, one of the things that Umbaku got at her for. You mm -hmm. trust in your science and at, at the at, at, at the expense of the spirit, at the expense wow. of nature. Because you know the mm. Jabari, their whole thing is they're closer to nature. You mm -hmm. use vibranium, wood. Mm -hmm. all of it for, for, well, you know Jabari wood is something else you're thinking about. <laughs> but um, <laughs> the, um, vibranium was weaponized, it was technolized, it was stripped away. And, and in, a, in, a, in a way, that's the, that's the advantage Namor had over them too. Not to say mm -hmm. they didn't use it as a weapon, but they had a more... Um, organic relationship with vibranium. It was literally in their blood. They drank right. the vibranium. Here we go to military strategy fail number two. <laughs> the, 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 you know, basically it's like Okoye, they bring Okoye back because remember, um, Ramonda had stripped her of her position mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. as the head of the Dora Milaje, kicked her out of the Dora Milaje and stuff. Right. And so now they're just kind of rounding everybody up, whatever. Mm -hmm. They get on this huge ship, right? It's so it's like it's it's Mbaku and all the all the people, all the fighters, whatever. And then, you know, led by Shuri. And they're like, we're going to, you know, go into the middle of the ocean. Um, they use that same vibranium machine to kind of trick the Talakan to come out. Mm -hmm. This and is totally what I'm misused say. The and, and totally misused the Midnight Angels, I must say. And, and I was like, I was underused. Or underused. underused. Can we just talk about the total underuse of Michaela Kowal as Anika? This just bothers yes, me. Her much. and the Midnight Angel, yeah, or the whole yeah. thing. Just, but I have a feeling I, that that's one of the things because of the the pivoting. I think she probably mm, had a bigger role in the second movie. In, in the original yeah, uh -huh. yeah. So here's what I'm gonna say: military strategy fail number two. All right, mm. you're like I'm. We're on this. I'm assuming this ship was made out of vibranium. They go out to the middle of the ocean. They fight. Why are you trying to fight them in the middle of the ocean? They own <laughs> the ocean. Why? <laughs> Why? It doesn't matter you how touch the ocean. 
What oh do you mean? God. You touched the ocean. <sighs> it's Mr. Nimbus's domain. You touched, you landed in the ocean, Morty. It just, I was just looking at it. I was like, and I understand that they were trying to set it up for some big fight, but it didn't make sense. I was no. like, this ship, do you understand what's under, like, they basically control all the sharks, the whales, the, all the underwater right, sea right. life. They control it. And you saw how, how easy they took off the ship, right? It was like, I mean, it was what it was. It was brown on black violence. It was like, what do you, it was kind of like, what do you want me to say? It wasn't really, mm. it really wasn't climactic to me. I mean, in, in no. any real way, it was just sort of like, I think we kind of knew like, okay, the way it is, I mean, Black Panther's going to have to win this fight, right? I mean, they need, you know what I mean? They needed yeah. a conflict. They needed a right. conflict, but it wasn't the conflict we all wanted because they're not ready for mm the CIA and the white people to get their ass whooped yet. Because we all know right. if the final act was the Wakandans and Namor's mm. people mm. teaming up against the rest of the world, it's a wrap for the rest of the world. Then you don't get phase five. Mm. Ryan Coogler deciding to end this film in Haiti was incredible Woo! to me. Let me tell um, you that I yeah. cried. Well, because we first saw when Ramonda went to go get Nakia to save Shuri. That was in Haiti. I was shocked. I did not see that coming. I was like, right, neither did I. Included in the story? Oh my mm-hmm. God. Thank you, mm-hmm. Ryan. Um, and that, you know, because my family uh, is from Haiti. And then, yeah. And so this this, this post credit scene was just I'm Haitian incredible. Haitian. <laughs> yeah. Yes, you are. Well, your children are married to a Haitian woman. You know, exactly. we're spicy. Um, that ending was just. It just filled my heart up. Like for whatever you could say for like the two hours and whatever of Wakanda forever, but those last few minutes mm-hmm. are gonna stay with me forever. Like that just was like, wow. Um, because we understand that Nakia had, you know, stayed away after the blip when um uh, when T'Challa came back, she just disappeared. Mm-hmm. Um and we come to find out the reason why she disappeared is because she had T'Challa's son. Um, and she and T'Challa Let's talk had... about that for a quick minute. Can you imagine yeah. post-blip sex? You, your <laughs> man's been away for five years. I'm done Can you too. imagine how Nakia and T'Challa got down after being away? No, what? She got pregnant that first night. She I'm knew. Sure she... Yeah, well, the, 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 timeline meant, the timeline matches. The timeline she matches. knew. <laughs> she knew as soon as they was done, she was like, she was laying there in the bed. I'm pregnant. <laughs> how do you? How do you know? Trust me, I knew. Yeah. And then she was like, I'm I mean, out. He loved her. He loved mm-hmm. Nakia. I mean, we saw this from the first Black Panther where they're like, you froze and whatever. And you know, it was just it was the decision made by T'Challa and Nakia that they did not. Nakia was like, I didn't want him to have the pressure of the throne on him. Mm-hmm. Which kind of tells you that Nakia understands that, understands the complication that comes with that throne. And she understood it for throne. herself. Remember, yes, she, she could have been she queen. Be queen. She, wanted to be, she didn't want to be queen. She there made it clear. He said, you would make a wonderful queen. If I so chose. She right. made it clear she didn't want part of this monarchy. Right. She want no parts since she was Meghan Markle in this bitch. She was like, I'm out. <laughs> Wow. That's a great, that's a great comparison. You know, like, uh, we see Sherry get off of this truck. She's in Haiti. Um, oh. Nakia's like, I prepared everything for you. And then she was like, do you want me with you? And she was like, no, I'm gonna do it by yourself. And then she goes on the beach. 
and she takes out the funeral clothes, the same funeral clothes that she had worn for T'Challa's funeral and mm-hmm. also uh, her mother's funeral. Mm-hmm. And then she burns them on the beach. And then that's when we look behind and we see Nakia holding the hand of a little boy. And she was like, this is, you know, basically this is your nephew, you know? Mm-hmm. And it was just like, he and, was then adorable. She was like, yeah. and then she was like, and then he said, his name is Toussaint. And I yeah. lost it. I know for you people, did. I yeah, know for you did. Who know Toussaint is Toussaint Louverture? He was one of the leaders of the first successful slave revolt before predating uh, Nat Turner. Nat Turner was actually inspired by the revolution in Haiti. Um, mm-hmm. They kicked out their French oppressors, and of course, as punishment, the French were like, "Well, you're going to pay us something million dollars," and that's why mm-hmm. Haiti's been poor for mm-hmm. centuries. Um, and so it was, there's a certain significance in the fact that T'Challa's son is being raised in like the cradle of like black revolution in one of the, yep. the one of the like there's just something so poetic and beautiful about that. And right. and of course his mother being Nakia, and we know how Nakia is. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? And I was just like, he's gonna be more than just because he's child's biological son the lessons he's going to learn being raised there and being raised by nakia and you, you know she has a huge amount of empathy he's going to be the leader that wakanda really deserves you know right so it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out down the line because mm-hmm. um, obviously i'm thinking they're going to age him up and whatever character it will be will be yeah. the new Black Panther because his name his he said his name was T'Challa, right? His name was T'Challa. So, oh, yeah. lost it again. Lost it again. And it exactly. was, was so, so proud. He's like, do you know what my Wakandan name is? Mm-hmm. He said T'Challa. He was so proud. I mean, clearly we knew that he must have spent time with his father. Um, mm-hmm. They knew, and, and we we're getting the idea that, that they knew that T'Challa was dying. Uh, right. That is why... She, um, Nakia explained that's why we weren't at the funeral. We had our own funeral for him here. Mm-hmm. Um, also, I don't think she wanted to expose. She didn't want to reveal that T'Challa had a son because they would have just snatched right. him, like put him on the throne and stuff. Yeah, um, exactly. Or you know, or train him to be on the throne and stuff. Like Shuri burning those funeral clothes, I felt Ryan in that scene. I felt like mm-hmm. him. If you could switch out the funeral clothes for a script, right. Because the clothes are white, sheets are white, um, mm. paper is white. I think there was at least that's oh, how wow. I read it. That's how I script. Yeah, I, I think see. that's yeah. I think that's how I read it. Like this was his way of showing love to Chadwick, and he's like, "I'm good." And and let me be clear about something: whether Ryan comes back for a Black Panther three, if there is a Black Panther, because this movie's making a lot of money, right? You know, but what I'm saying is that. What I would say to Black viewers or people who are, again, what I said about burden of representation, it's okay mm-hmm. for us to let Ryan Coogler go. Yes. Um, if he decides not to come back to the Black Panther, tra- if they want to continue doing it, that's, you know, whatever, that's up to Disney. They own the rights. Ryan doesn't own the rights. But I think it's okay for us to let Ryan go because I think that man has been through too much. I think Agreed. for everything that has happened and for him to come back and do black panther 2 like 
you know, sometimes I feel like sometimes our community, we ask for too much labor from our people. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes it's like, oh, it's for the cause, it's for the cause. But I don't ever think that the cause should be at the expense of your own personal emotional health. Shuri just burning those clothes. I really feel like that was Ryan. That was like, I'm done. <laughs> and That's wild. I, I never thought yeah. of it that way, but I, yeah. I think you're onto something there. Yeah. And, and I wouldn't and I blame think, him. Yeah. And I would not blame him. I think there's just so much incredible loss. And, and thinking about the cast and crew is like every day coming on set and stuff. Cause they said that he, they kept Chadwick's name on the call sheet as number one, even while oh, he was not there because they were wow. like, he, he's, the, he's our king. Like that's, you know what I mean? Going back to his mm. advocate, you know, advocacy for this role in this movie and everything. So I just feel like for me, I'm okay if they want to sit on the Black Panther thing. This thing is like, like we need it as black people. We need a lot of things, okay? Mm -hmm. <laughs> But I think that we can look to other Black superheroes. We have Monica Rambeau. We've got um, thing, And I'm not saying that Wakanda is not important because if I remember correctly, Disney is working on a Wakanda, world of Wakanda. So what you were saying about seeing the people, the actual people of Wakanda, we're probably going to see that. Hopefully mm -hmm. they will get Michaela Cowell back, um, seeing as she didn't get enough screen time. I would love to see this relationship with Anika and Ayo actually fleshed out. Mm -hmm. in the series um mm -hmm. and i think there's a lot i think there's a lot of cool stuff you could do with the world of wakanda i think there's a lot of things that you can continue to do um i'm not saying we don't need the black panther franchise but i'm just saying that if if uh, the stewardship of ryan coogler if he walks away from the franchise i would not be upset um i think he's done more than enough <laughs> um <laughs> what i would love for him to do is I definitely want him to stay in the Marvel family. He is producing World of Wakanda. I know he's working on that. I would love to see him just get like a mainstream, fun Marvel property. Hmm. No black plane, no black trauma. I mean, well, every Marvel <laughs> movie has trauma. Let me let me be clear. Yeah. Iron Man, all of it. But I'm just saying, like, I want to see him get something fun. Like, unfortunately, hmm. well, they've already they've already grabbed um Fantastic Four, at least I think Fantastic Four has a director. I I mm. want to see Ryan. Jay. Like, well, Blade needs a director. <laughs> we mm. know that. Um, I'm, mm. You know, when, when he rests up, I think he should just take a year off and love on his, you know, beautiful wife and his beautiful babies. And mm -hmm. when he's ready to come back, I think they should just give him the X-Men franchise. I think he could do something really interesting with the X-Men franchise when they decide to do it. Like, there's a mm. lot of properties, a lot of uh, superheroes. And it doesn't even have to be a Black superhero. Right, you know? Like, right. I just feel like Black directors should be able to direct whatever they want. Ryan is on fire right now, but I think he needs his rest. Like, especially after doing this press tour and having to talk, you know, like, because every time you do these interviews, it's like you're revisiting a pain, you're revisiting yes. a sadness, yeah. you know, and so I just want him to go one year, two years, just go off and live his life and eat and, and have fun and enjoy and, you know, and I, I can't wait to see what he comes up with next. Like, he's just, Same. he's wonderful. Like, he's just, he's just, I don't know, he's like one in a, he's just, he's just a very unique director. Like, I, I put him with, like, Barry Jenkins as far as in the fact that how they have this deep love and empathy for Black people and how it shows up in their art, right? And I'm talking Black because we see it with Ava's work too, but I'm talking about at least Black male directors and specifically how they treat Black women in their movies. Mm -hmm. 
I think a lot of other <clears throat> black male directors could take some notes from these two men. Um, yes. That you don't have to hate <laughs> black women, <laughs> you know what I mean, and you know denigrate them and stuff. Like you can actually make them complex and 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 uh, difficult and and messy and you know what I mean, but still see the beauty. Like there, there's like a beauty in the humanity and the messiness because I think as black women, it's like we just we just have this pressure to be perfect all the time all the time and this is you know you and i we watch industry right is that that hbo series and that's one of the reasons why i love harper uh she's the she's black woman protagonist oh she's so messy this girl she fucks she takes drugs she lies she and i'm like and i'm here for you harper and yet how they write her is like you you root for her you know mm -hmm. what i mean and and i love that but yeah but like with ryan i just feel like he has a deep love for black women. Like I interviewed Hannah Beachler, the production designer, and she said that she was like, Ryan Coogler loves black women. Do you hear me? Mm -hmm. and she repeated it again. She was like, he loves black. He was like, he's got a black mama, black wife, black. He was like, I've never, she was like, I've never seen, I've never worked with anybody like a, a black male creative that just gave me space to play like that. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? And just, and, and trusted my judgment and didn't question much. Like he might, you know, be like, okay, do we want to do this? But he was like, he would, he never belittled people, you know? So yeah. I've, I've never heard a bad word about Brian Coogler, honestly, especially from black women. Lupita loves him. Danae loves him. The fact that he cast Michaela Colwell, like the other thing that I love about Brian, about Ryan Coogler is that he's not intimidated by being surrounded by strong and powerful creative black women. You know, yeah. I love that. I love that about him. So, and again, sure. you're free to, people are free to critique Wakanda forever. That's, you know, whatever. We've seen some wild takes, um, <laughs> but I just feel like, again, um, I just couldn't approach this movie as any like regular superhero movie. Like, oh, right. it's a Marvel movie that, you know, like, it just, it just requires something. It, it like, there was so much of Ryan and Chadwick in this movie. And it was just like, I don't know. It was just like, it felt like Ryan was trying to have a conversation with us. Like he's, he's yeah. trying to have a conversation with us. And so it's just like, the least we can do is listen. Whether you agree with it, that's fine. But I mm. think it, it deserves that. And again, if you want to, you know, enjoy it just on the level of a superhero movie, that's absolutely fine. Um, but I feel like there, there were definitely some levels and there were definitely some things that Ryan was wrestling with. And so lastly, I'll just say back to what I said in the beginning about this loss of innocence is that I think with the loss of Chadwick, it kind of felt it, maybe it's me, but it felt like it, there's some, there's a questioning that Ryan Coogler has. There's a questioning mm. of, of this idea of a black utopia. And what does that mean? Right? And so I think that's 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 what he was wrestling with. And I think by by Chadwick being gone and like you lose the center of that, and it's just like, okay, so so what does that look like? You know, and, and can we is it is it even possible to have a black utopia? Mm -hmm. Um I like to think that there's a you know, Wakanda. I said that a few years ago. I was like, I think we all have a Wakanda inside of us and everything. But I think what Ryan is asking us to do is like, maybe we need to reimagine what that looks like. 
and 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 I think with losing Chadwick, it kind of recentered it to like, oh, this is real. This is mm-hmm. not just some fantasy thing. This is like there, even in the utopias, there's there's loss to reckon with. There's you know pain to reckon with. There's mm-hmm. there's absence. Not even if it's doesn't necessarily even have to be um which I think he was going to talk about you know with the blip it wasn't necessarily death but just right. absence you know mm-hmm. how do you deal with you know power vacuums things of that nature um and and notions of power what should power be what, what mm-hmm. who's, who should be powerful does having vibranium alone give you the right to be powerful you know there's so many things that I I think he probably wanted to get to but could only hint at because he had so much to contend with and so many moving parts and of course losing your main character you know that's why i said yeah. earlier he did an admirable job considering what he had to work with so i don't think anybody can be really too upset with what they managed to put together that's I just my, my feeling well thank you so much jerry you're welcome <laughs> <laughs> i just like i just felt like you know, because I was thinking about like who I wanted to do this with, like who can I talk to? And it was just like, like I just needed somebody who could just have the patience <laughs> to like to like really sit with it. And not not somebody mm-hmm. who's like a Yahoo MCU fan, like, yes, I love Black Panther and just right. you know, don't want to critique it. But it's like I think we can talk about it, we can critique it, we can appreciate the things that we loved, and we can talk about the things that you know what I mean? I, I think yeah. I think that is that is possible. So Thank you, everybody, for listening to another episode of the Spectrum Lounge. See you on the other side.